You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Thursday, October 14th, 2021. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Right after the BBC headlines, a large swath of Hollywood's workforce is threatening to strike in a few days. The California Report talks with a union member about how the pandemic has changed the culture of the entertainment industry. Plus, the state's attorney general moves to ban the sale of so-called ghost guns. After the regional roundup, we have Bravehearts and an essay by Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. The executive director of the labor union SEIU California has resigned after being charged with tax fraud and other felonies. The California Report's Angela Corral has the story. Alma Hernandez and her husband are facing five counts of filing false tax returns for allegedly underreporting their income by about $1.4 million over five years. If convicted, they could be facing state prison time. A spokesperson for the family tells the Sacramento Bee, which first reported the story, that the pair will clear their names. Hernandez also faces two charges of grand theft and one of perjury in connection with her work as a treasurer on a 2014 political committee. The complaint says she directed nearly $12,000 in campaign money to her husband for campaign services that he never provided. Hernandez has run SEIU California since 2016. It's the state's largest labor union, representing more than 700,000 workers and carries big political influence. For the California Report, I'm Angela Corral. And in other labor news, about 60,000 members of the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, or IATSE, are threatening to strike next Monday if they can't reach an agreement with studios over such issues as working conditions and more reasonable hours. IATSE represents a wide swath of Hollywood's workforce, from cinematographers and editors to makeup artists and script coordinators. The California Report talked about labor concerns with A.J. Cataline, an editor on Apple TV's Ted Lasso. He says he and his fellow union members are ready to strike after many assess their work lives during the pandemic. What we're seeing amazingly, everyone is on the same page finally. And I think that's a lot to do with uh, the pandemic and people looking at work in a different way than we've looked at it in the past. What do you want to see changed? What needs to be improved across the board? Specifically, there's issues of safety in this industry and having a more equitable industry. So you have issues of people, you know, not getting enough rest, not getting enough turnaround. But also, I think, you know, our contracts are old because we're freelance. We don't get a lot of the benefits that you would on a more regular job. You know, a lot of people outside of this industry would look inside of it and say, how bad can it be? You aren't mining coal in Appalachia. You aren't in the farm fields of the Central Valley. Correct. Yeah, no, the, the, look, there are labor issues in that uh, we work in a business that is very deadline-oriented. And, uh, you know, it gets intense. And we editors work late hours, and we work oftentimes, it's very common for editors to work 15-hour days uh, over and over and over again. Now, you know, we love it, but uh, and we're very lucky to work on these projects mm-hmm. that are very high-profile. But at the same time, it is... Uh, at the end of the day, just a job. People are just exhausted. Exhausted. Yeah, we have situations where, you know, especially with our assistant editors, you know, uh, they bear the brunt of it because these cuts have to get out. They have to get delivered. And 
I've had assistant editors that have no choice but to keep working at 3, 4 in the morning, and then they have to get up the next day and still start a regular day. Again, that's editor A.J. Cataline discussing work culture concerns that have led film and television workers to consider striking this Monday. In other news, with the Biden administration's announcement yesterday that the Port of Los Angeles will begin operating 24 hours a day, seven days a week, the union representing Longshoremen says they're ready for the changes. Frank Ponce de Leon is Coast Committeeman for the International Longshore and Warehouse Union. Our contract calls for us uh, for availability availabilities uh, for our workers uh, 24 hours a day. The only catch on that is that our employers have to order the place those orders through our dispatch halls and we fill those orders and show up to work. So the 24 hour is not a, a new concept. It's uh, it's something that's uh, in our contracts for since I've been registered and that's back since 1982. And Ponce de Leon tells the California report there shouldn't be a staffing issue once the hours at the port expand. The Biden administration says this is just one of the measures they're taking to help alleviate the massive supply chain problems in the U.S. right now. Ponce de Leon says this won't immediately fix those issues as much of the problems right now still stem from the pandemic. But he says all parties need to work together to try to come up with tangible solutions. In an email to the California report, the Port of Los Angeles says right now there's no definitive timetable as to when they'll begin to implement these changes. California is joining a lawsuit filed recently by San Francisco against three companies that sell so-called ghost guns. They're the do-it-yourself firearm assembly kits sold without background checks or traceable serial numbers. Attorney General Rob Bonta says the state is taking on Blackhawk Manufacturing Group, MDX Corporation, and GS Performance LLC for allegedly evading California's gun laws, allowing anyone to purchase a weapon. From terrorists to human traffickers to bypass California's nation-leading gun laws, including registration and background checks, and within minutes have an instrument of death in their hands. California's Attorney General describes the sale of ghost guns as an epidemic in the state. The suit seeks an injunction barring the sale of ghost guns in the state and financial penalties. The companies have yet to respond to a request for comment. Meanwhile, officials in San Diego County are introducing their own initiatives to ban ghost guns and stem gun violence locally. Board of Supervisors Chair Nathan Fletcher says the county needs to have common sense gun safety measures in place. Guns without a serial number are a clear and present danger. It's impacting our community by providing the proper protections in place, regulating the use and production of these guns. uh, We have the opportunity to save lives. The proposal would ban the possession and distribution of unserialized parts used to create ghost guns. If approved, the measure would also prohibit the 3D printing of unserialized firearms and establish safe storage requirements for county gun owners in San Diego. The Board of Supervisors is expected to vote on the proposals at its meeting next week. Support for the California Report comes from Real California Milk. Reminding listeners to take three simple steps to recycle gallon milk jugs. Pour it, cap it, bin it. Learn more at RecycleTheJug.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And Blue Shield of California, rebuilding the future of healthcare with every Californian in mind from quality and equitable care to not-for-profit values. 
Learn more at news.blueshieldca.com. And that is the early edition of the California Report for Thursday, October 14th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening. In regional news, the California Department of Social Services announced today that people affected by wildfires in Nevada County and five other counties may be eligible to receive CalFresh food benefits as part of continuing disaster recovery efforts. A family of four may qualify to receive up to $782 in food benefits through this program. Those who already receive regular CalFresh benefits will not be eligible for this disaster CalFresh. The final day to apply is October 26th. The other counties are Placer, Plumas, Lassen, Tehama, and Trinity. Households can apply by contacting their local county social services office, or they can get more information by calling 877-847-3663 or 847-FOOD. Caltrans announced today that motorists on Highway 50 and Highway 89 in the area affected by the Caldor fire should expect daytime traffic controls and delays now that two emergency contracts are in place to repair damage from the fire, which has burned nearly 222,000 acres of the El Dorado National Forest. Work will include hazardous tree and debris removal, rockfall protection, guardrail replacement, and other repairs. Speaking of wildfire, the Sacramento Bee has a story today by staff reporters Ryan Sabalo and Dale Kassler about the battle over clashing theories of wildfire prevention. In great detail, Sabalo and Kassler break down a conflict that has been going on for the past several years between proponents of fuel reduction and their opponents, specifically an organization called the John Muir Project. Chad Hansen, an influential environmentalist who runs the John Muir Project, is often featured in news stories on fire and forestry. Hansen has spent decades pursuing lawsuits against the U.S. Forest Service over plans to cut down trees to reduce fire danger, saying, We go to court to stand up for science. But fire scientists, according to the Bee story, are now fiercely attacking Hansen and his allies in their campaign to leave the woods alone. These scientists say the activists are misleading the public and standing in the way of vital work needed to protect communities and make California's forests more resilient to wildfire. One professor of wildfire science went so far as to call Hansen's activism, and this is a quote, self-serving garbage. You can read the full story on the Sacramento Bee's website. Pacific Gas and Electric announced on its website today that, due to weakening winds, a public safety power shutoff is no longer necessary across the northern portion of its service area. The PSPS has been canceled for about 5,500 customers in 10 counties that had previously been warned of a potential PSPS today. Those counties are Butte, Calusa, Glen, Lake, Napa, Shasta, Solano, Sonoma, Tehama, and Yolo. In regional weather, sunny with warmer days through Saturday, with rain possible at the end of next week. A red flag warning remains in effect for the Sacramento Valley until 8 p.m. today due to wind and low humidity. This evening in Nevada City and Grass Valley, clear with a low of 53. Mainly sunny Friday with a high of 77 and a low of 57. 
The air quality in Grass Valley this afternoon was good, with an air quality index of 10. Friday in Grass Valley, the air quality is forecast to be good, with an expected AQI of 43. In Truckee tonight, clear with a low of 23. Friday in Truckee, mainly sunny with a high of 66 and a low of 28. The air quality this afternoon in Truckee was good with an AQI of 3. Friday's air quality is forecast to be good with an expected AQI of 24. In Sacramento, clear tonight with a low of 44. Friday in Sacramento, sunny with a high of 81 and a low of 47. Sacramento's air quality this afternoon was good with an AQI of 4. Friday's air quality is forecast to be moderate with an expected AQI of 51. Welcome to this edition of Brave Hearts where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis. We are your hosts, William Wallace and Betty Louise, and these are the Bravehearts. You're listening to Part 5 of Bravehearts' Betty Louise in conversation with social worker Kelly Gallagher, Grass Valley Police Chief Alex Gamelgard, and Grass Valley Police Officer Jonathan Brown. The City of Grass Valley was awarded over half a million dollars in partnership with the nonprofit Hospitality House as part of the California Violence Intervention and Prevention Grant. Hospitality House originally introduced the Peace Officers and Standards Training Curriculum, encouraging de-escalation and an awareness of mental health challenges, particularly in the homeless community. As part of the program, social workers and officers respond to calls and engage with the community together as partners. So you certainly outlined some of the challenges, that there are human <laughs> beings that, you know, that's who you're trying to help. Is, is there anything that you notice about the homeless community in particular that's different from any other kind of victims? I think it's universally that anyone could be homeless. And that's the message I always try and kind of impress upon people is that we are all really one catastrophic illness one stupid mistake, one accident, one ended relationship. I mean, I've seen dentists, I've seen people with PhDs. It can happen to almost anybody, especially if they don't have a family support. And so I think that's what people don't realize about homelessness is that you can think everything's going along smoothly one day and the next day it might not be. Like if you go to Utah's place and and there's 67 people staying there, that's 67 different stories. One person might have been a homemaker, one person might have been a lawyer. I think it's humbling, honestly. Yeah, and I'm sure it helps you to approach every situation with kind of a clean slate. Like, you don't know what this person has been through. And so you come in with curiosity instead of maybe what they encounter at other times is just hostility. No, not to be mistaken. There are still a lot of criminal violations that we Mm -hmm. come across, and we have to deal with those as we come across them. Um, 
you know, we don't just let people disregard the law and do whatever they want. Because I'm always <laughs> engaging members of the community that are homeless, there's a lot of crimes that get committed by some of those people. And just because of how much contact we have with them, we're present during a lot of those crimes. And so a lot of these people are on probation or they may have these past histories or, or substance abuse or whatever the case. So they you know, may be in possession of paraphernalia or drugs or under the influence of something or alcohol in public or those types of things. So there, there still are criminal violations that we come in contact with. But I will say because we have the time to talk with people and because of all the progressive engagement that we've had up to that point, even when we have to take enforcement action against somebody, whether it's writing them a citation or physically taking them into custody, we still have their respect the next time we see them on the street. Mm -hmm. They still talk with me. They still know that we care about them. Some people will call us, call me on my day off and give me a, a voicemail or I'll come in on my, right. on my day and then have a voicemail from somebody. I was going to say something. I mean, I know my experience as a police officer, I'm sure you've shared, had this experience where people say that time when you took me to jail... I needed that more than anything else in my life. Thank you for doing that. It usually doesn't happen when you're taking them to jail. It usually happens at some point future when they see you on the street. And so that's the point of this whole program from a community safety aspect. And then in each individual that's being served, sometimes there's certain tools and things that and interventions and things that are happening that are really for the better, both collectively and for an individual. And so that's that was the point of the program. And that's why, to Jonathan's point about the criminal violations, the whole application on the grant and the statement out of the California Violence Intervention Program is that these folks that they're serving have a higher propensity, both to be victims and to commit crime, some of which is based on circumstance and living on the street, let's be honest, more likely that you're going to be a crime victim. But also, it has a whole community wellness perspective to it. It's not good for a community fabric to have a high level of homelessness. So what can we do to address that? Thank you for joining us today. Our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind. Be well and be kind. This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please visit calhum.org. This week's episode of Bravehearts was edited by Kelly Reese. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. Yesterday, I returned from my first road trip in two years. I put 1,541 miles on my 20-year-old car, ran the battery out once, charging my phone, panicked about the check engine light once, avoided two serious accidents with semis in torrential rain, stayed in motels, hotels, Airbnbs, and borrowed houses, and saw three relatives and two friends. It was all amazing, and I am so glad to be home. One feature of the work I do as a radical life coach is help people experience what's really going on and not get tangled up in illusions. Travel and vacations are full of opportunities to imagine wonderful scenarios and then be disappointed, from glossy brochures to weather assumptions, and I'm just as susceptible as the rest of you. Not one, but two fellow coaches reminded me I might get lonely on this trip and wish I were home. I did get lonely. I did wish I were home. I cursed overly soft mattresses and GPS screw-ups, and I spent more time at AutoZone and the Newport, Oregon Toyota dealership than expected. 
but I also had a ball with my niece, getting our toenails painted in adjacent chairs and walking by the Willamette Slough, discussing our strange mutual family. I drove through a dark forest that was suddenly transformed for miles by thousands of cottonwoods in full yellow autumnal glory. The AutoZone and Toyota people were cheerful. The AAA tow guy's first name was Shrews, of all things, S-H-R-E-W-S. I laughed out loud at a wild chorus of barking sea lions. It was helpful to not expect everything to be perfect. It softened the loneliness and amplified the fun parts. I'd planned to listen to podcasts on the long stretches of interstate, but drove in silence instead, thinking. I settled a few concerns and made some decisions, which, now I'm back, still seem sound. I hadn't driven more than an hour from home in two years, and at first my body was not amused. I did a couple practice runs to the Bay Area before I took off and kept a daily limit of six driving hours, taking breaks along the way. An article in my local paper recommended keeping your hips slightly above your knees in a car seat, and it turned out my old car could make this three-inch lift and I'd never noticed. That ergonomic adjustment made a huge difference. You should try it. To finish off this adventure, I booked three nights at Donner Lake so I could go swimming twice a day, but the weather made other plans. I had left home in late summer, but returned 12 days later in serious fall. A friend and I did get into the frigid water once for approximately 11 minutes, more than a dunk, but less than a real swim, so we could boast about it. But once was plenty. The next day it snowed. I came home to four unharmed cats, cherry tomatoes still ripe on the vine, and phone messages about my warranty being about to run out. These scammers should learn to use full sentences, I thought, as I erased them. I still have four days left of vacation in which to do laundry, sleep late, and reorganize all my kitchen shelves. I call the whole thing a resounding success. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast. Coming up next at 6.30 p.m., it's another information-packed edition of The Climate Report with host Martin Webb. At 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. The KVMR Evening News is produced by Claudio Mendoza and airs every weekday at 6 p.m. If you missed any of our stories or just want to enjoy them again, visit our website, kvmr.org or listen to the KVMR Evening News wherever you get your podcasts. KVMR Community Radio gets support from Four Paws Animal Clinic, providing medical, dental, surgical services, alternative therapies, and cat boarding for cherished companions on Searles Avenue, Nevada City. 
Dr. Susan Murphy and staff proudly support KVMR. F-O-U-R-P-A-U-S-E-A-C.com. And Harmony Books of Nevada City, locally owned for over 25 years, next to the Chamber of Commerce at 130 Main Street. Open Monday through Saturday, 10 to 5.30, Sundays 11 to 4. Harmony Books carries thousands of books, including local authors. And one more thing. Thanks a million to you, our listeners, who step forward with extreme generosity to support community radio and independent media during KVMR's most recent membership drive. This is a very grateful Joyce Miller signing off. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you.